Welcome to this special series of the Craft Industry Alliance podcast. I'm Abby Glassenberg, the co-founder of Craft Industry Alliance, an online community for craft business owners. And in this limited series of our podcasts called Powering the Creative Economy with Spoonflower, we're focusing on artists and makers who have created innovative businesses using Spoonflower, the world's largest custom fabric, wallpaper, and home decor digital marketplace. In today's conversation, we're taking a deep dive into creative embroidery with our guest, Robert Mahar. Robert is an artist and designer who teaches imaginative do-it-yourself projects through high-quality video tutorials. He's also a proud season one alumni of NBC's crafting competition, Making It, co-hosted by Amy Poehler and Nick Offerman. Spoonflower provides on-demand digital printing using an eco-friendly, sustainable, and scalable manufacturing process. They like to say, if you can dream it, we can print it. And Robert Mahar took them up on that offer. Let's hear how he did it. How did your business get started? (laughs) I always love this question because I think with some creatives, if you think about their careers as sort of like a river, there's always this forward motion and there might be a little circuity. Um, But, you know, like say you're a woodworker, you apprentice, you get a job, you graduate, hone your skills, go on uh, to work for a larger company, develop your own furniture line. And it, you know, it might have its little curves, but it's always this sort of forward, confined within the banks of the river, if you will. And I always feel like when I get asked this question, if you were to have a bird's eye view of my career, it would be that same sort of forward river of creativity, but there's all these little tributaries off to the side that were experiments. And some were businesses that took off and some were business ventures that just didn't really go anywhere. Um, Because, you know, when I think about what I've done as far as um, a career under a creative umbrella, it's been everything from working as an appraiser of modern and contemporary art to having an online shop to working with a digital entertainment company and producing more than 100 short format video tutorials to doing producing both for online and television, having a product line. Um, But since we're talking about Spoonflower (laughs) today, my first introduction to Spoonflower was when I had my online children's shop and I had been experimenting with um, surface and pattern design. And I had come up with some designs that allowed uh, customers to um, purchase yardage, give me their child's name and I would integrate it into the design and send it off to them. And this was probably back in 2008 or 2009. Um, But that was, you know, that was my introduction to Spoonflower when this whole concept of print on demand for the masses was really pretty new. And the idea of being able to take a background in graphic design and apply it to a substrate like this was really exciting, not only for the potential it had for my customers, but also for personal projects. Right. I, n- I remember those days and it, it almost was like 
when YouTube was just getting started as well. And it was like this, you know, user generated content and this big play, you know, sort of marketplace where everybody could put their creative output and other people could access it with no intermediaries for the first time. And it was just such a sort of exciting, like, wow, look at this new tool and what I can do with it. Absolutely. So those first projects, it was customized and people would send the name of their child, you would integrate it. And what were the products? Was it a pillow or what was it? Something else? It actually, I was just providing them with the yardage. I was customizing the surface design for them and then they would transform it into whatever they wanted for their child or their grandchild, be it bedding or or curtains or apparel. Um, But it was really providing them with a customized tool then for their own creativity. That's super cool. Um, And so how is, um, you know, as your business has grown and matured and developed over the years, tell us a little bit, sort of bring us up to date on sort of what you're doing now with your business. Sure. Well, I think in particular, um, as it applies to Spoonflower, um, you know, when I saw how it could be applied for my customers when I had my online shop, I also at the same time was playing around with it for personal projects. And I've always had this affinity for vintage paper ephemera. And I had come across this really beautiful archive of anatomical teaching charts. And Somehow in my head, I got this idea, wouldn't it be beautiful to apply this to a substrate like fabric and then embellish it with embroidery, Um, you know, allowing me to stitch along the circulatory system or do a back stitch along the backbone. And so I started doing these experiments and sharing them online and um, was really pleasantly surprised by the positive response I got from them. And that encouraged me to do a little bit more experimentation. So I started taking um, this source material and creating original collages and having it printed. And um, that developed into a line of embroidery samplers that I continue to sell to this day. And I consider them free form because unlike traditional embroidery samplers where you've got a line to stitch along and a color guide, with these you start out with the image and you're given the freedom to select your favorite stitches and your favorite colors of embroidery floss and decide where you want to place them on the design. So, And the idea of starting out with this sort of beautiful image is to set the user up for success. So no matter how much or how little little stitching you end up doing, um, you really end up with a great end product. Um, And it's worked well for me. And what's been so nice about developing this line and getting customer feedback is I've been able to sort of hone it and retire designs that don't necessarily perform as well. And ones that that tend to excel, I've also developed into classes, um, which gives me another level of sort of interaction with the end user because we're able to go back in a traditional teaching format and um, start with some embroidery basics and then let them run wild with it in a very sort of non-traditional format. And so these medical illustrations that you started to print on the fabric to create these first embroidery patterns, they're in the public domain, right? So you were not drawing them. You found this archive of these Um, illustrations. And because they're in the public domain, you can scan and upload those or or use the files that you're finding and 
um, and then send those to Spoon Flower and have fabric created based on those designs. That is a really good point. And they are all in the public domain, but to make them more uniquely my own, as I've sort of developed the line, I've gone back in and started collaging multiple source materials together to make unique images that you can't then find anywhere else. Okay. Yeah, that's great though. But I think it's kind of reassuring for people to say like, I don't actually have to be you know, an extremely skillful artist, I could find or source an image and and at least use that as the basis of something. Absolutely. Yeah, that's really neat. And so um, I noticed that you have one of those medical illustrations where you've created like a banner overlay where somebody can um, stitch a customized name or phrase over it, which is super um, cool. And, And kind of going back to that customization idea that you had originally. Yeah, absolutely. The I, I developed this. Um, it's a heart image, and it's got uh, blackberries sort of sprouting out of the ventricles. It's all, I, you know, it's not everyone's cup of tea. This imagery, but I I tend to refer to it as beautifully macabre. And there are a lot of people that it just are really drawn to it. And so the one in particular that you're speaking about does have this little blank banner that you can then go in and stitch text over the top of it, sort of um, in the tradition of maybe tattoo flash or that type of imagery. And then you have another one that's also really popular that you've developed a class based on that's a map. And, um, and so you, you can get this, this big piece of fabric, that's the map, and then you can stitch basically what places that you visited or your hometown or places that are meaningful to you. This has been one of my very favorite projects. It's an early map from, uh, I think it was 1903. It's of the contiguous United States of the lower 48. And I've done some alterations to it, added some text, but we print it on a half yard of fabric. So it's oversized and can be created as a wall map. But the intent really is for people then to stitch their stories onto the substrate. So, you know, this could be stitching connections between loved ones that live across the country or documenting a road trip from, you know, point A to point B or outlining all of the states that you've lived in or that you've visited. And it's really fun to allow people to sort of express part of their own story through the medium of embroidery on one of these beautifully printed fabrics. And what are people doing with the finished pieces? So whether it is the anatomical piece or the map, are they using it as a wall hanging or are they making it into something? Because sometimes when you do an embroidery project, you're like, now what do I do with it? (laughs) It's absolutely true. I mean, for the anatomical um, uh, embroidery samplers, I've sized them in such a way so that they'll fit in like a standard frame if you want to do that as an option when you finished with it. But I've had students send me pictures where they've used it as applique and put it on the back of a jean jacket, incorporated oh, that's a good it. Idea. Yeah. Yeah. Incorporated it into a quilt or some other sort of textile for the bedroom or a, a bed linen. Um, with the map in particular, it's been interesting. Some of my favorites have been where people have um, allowed themselves to actually cut the map after they've embroidered it and made it into pillows. I had someone that um, used it as sort of the ring bearer's pillow for their wedding, and it had um, their hometown sort of stitched and in, in, um, embellished on the map before they created oh, wow. a pillow with it. Yeah, people are super creative with what they do with it. And it's so nice to have a product that 
you first embellish and then can be transformed into a product. It's kind of, it's a, a gift within a gift. You know, it could be a tote bag, a wall hanging, a garment, a, a linen, a tablecloth, anything along those lines. Cool. And what um, substrate are you using to print these? Do you have a particular substrate that you have found works the best? My very favorite is the linen cotton canvas because it's just, it's got such a nice hand feel to it. It is, um, it's, it's heavy enough that it feels substantial, but not so heavy that you can't pierce it with the needle. And it makes the most delicious sort of popping noise when you put your needle in it and pull the thread through, which is a little bit of ASMR, which I love. <laughs> <laughs> and are you like ordering this yardage like in bulk and then cutting it up and putting it in your shop? Or is it more like you're going to order it on demand when a sale comes in, then you place the sale with Spoonflower? Or are you just doing everything print on demand? I don't think Spoonflower ships things directly to customers. So they're going to ship it. You're the customer here. So um, so how are you ranging this from a business perspective? <laughs> I always try to keep my, my online shop well stocked. So I'm ordering it in advance, prepping the material, um, pressing, folding, packaging it. Um, you know, sometimes customer demand catches up with me and I have to kind of put a little pause and say, it's on back order, it'll be back in next week um, to kind of help with some of this, especially when I developed the online class um, surrounding the map embroidery sampler. Um, I was placing some large wholesale orders. So at that time I took advantage of signing up for Spoonflowers Pro membership, which was wonderful because um, you know it allowed it for some um, processes to be expedited and included free shipping um, because I was just ordering, you know, rolls with, you know, a hundred yards and that sort of thing. And then processing them all when they came into the studio. It is a little bit, um, you know, laborious to do, but it also allows somebody like you who is basically kind of like a small batch um, manufacturer or seller to uh, be to do this in an affordable way because if you were to source right like um, you know tons of yard you know three thousand yards or something of of one of these designs that would be really expensive for you to be able to do and then you'd be saddled with all of this inventory so um, so even though you have to sort of monitor things and and order it when it when it runs out and that sort of thing it, it still allows you to to function this way and to, to run a business this way it's true and that's always been one of the advantages and draws a spoon flower is that I don't have those large minimum requirements to place right. a printing order and that was initially what drew me to them because I had been investigating other avenues. And early on, there, there weren't a lot of options. I know that there are other companies that do it now, but because I've built this relationship with Spoonflower, I'm comfortable. We've got a great working relationship. Um, you know, and I still feel like the, the quality and my ability to place an order and have it in a week is a big benefit, especially to the pro membership. And so tell us a little bit too about your own background. Um, as far as I know you were um, a, a guest on the show making it, and I'd love to hear a little bit about that experience because that just seems like such a special and cool, like, like once in a lifetime opportunity. <laughs> I, I tell you, one of the tenants that I try to incorporate into my daily creative practice is um, 
some advice that was put out by a, an artist hero of mine, um, Karita Kent, who was a pop artist in the 60s and 70s. And um, one of sort of the tenets that she lived by was consider everything an experiment. <laughs> and I think that always, it frees you up to take on opportunities and to play with the new materials. And I think that was kind of the case with making it. Like it was an unknown at that point. They were developing the first season and um, I have never been a huge fan of reality TV, but when they pitched it as being sort of a craft version of the Great British Bake Off, I was like, oh, that's totally that's totally my jam. I love that show. And yeah. I have watched multiple seasons on repeat. Um, and then when they said that Amy Poehler and Nick Offerman were involved, I was like, nah, I'm going to throw my hat in the ring. I don't know what's going to happen, but I love both of them. And I can't imagine them being involved in a project that was, you know, cutthroat or mean spirited. And um, they really they set such a nice tone on the set for kindness and collegiality that I think really permeated the the projects and has propelled them forward. And um, the third season is is about to launch. So as my my season one castmates and I um, like to lovingly joke with one another, we launched a franchise. So <laughs> yeah, that's super cool. And what did you learn about yourself as a as a crafter in in crafting under pressure like that? I, I would assume that uh, if I were given you know this task and um, set of materials and, and time limit that I would realize. And, and then looking around at what everybody else did, I would realize certain things about my own creative tendencies. Listen, I've always done projects for clients at the same time I'm doing projects for myself. So I've, I was used to working under deadlines. What I wasn't used to doing was working with a time clock ticking away on the wall and knowing that you only had three hours to complete a project. So um, I think you learn quickly to prioritize sort of these are the most important steps I need to get finished. And if I get to maybe step, um, you know, X, Y, or Z, that's icing on the cake, but I'm still going to end up with a great project. Doesn't, didn't always right. turn that's out in my point. favor. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Just to be able to say like, um, you know, I need to have something finished in time. And has has any of that experience um, carried over into other areas of your present business, you know, and things that you might have learned um, through filming that show that you continue to use now? Um, I, I think it's funny. I had done online tutorials prior to doing the television show. So uh, I think when you see yourself on camera or on screen for the first time, you, you become aware of um, gestures and w where your eye line is. And, and I think it's, it's this interesting fine line of not becoming self-conscious, but being aware of how you communicate on screen and taking advantage of it um, uh, isn't important for me to maintain eye contact with the lens so it looks like I'm talking directly to the viewer. Do I, do I seem more um, approachable when I'm smiling or when I'm more serious? You know, how am I conveying the information that I want to get across? And so I think those were sort of valuable things that I was able to take away and hopefully um, 
used to be a better communicator in my business and in, you know, any sort of tutorials I do going forward. Right. And you've always been um, a real adopter of video. You, you're somebody who's made, I don't know how many uh, <laughs> um, online how-to videos. And, um, and so, um, and you filmed a lot of classes, some classes as well, video classes. So I wondered, um, you know, what, how, when you reflect on video and how video has changed over time and the important role it plays in um, being a how-to instructor today, um, what, what are some of the tips that you've learned there? I mean, it sounds like eye contact is important, but are there other pieces there? And, and would you recommend to other makers that they give video a try? Well, I think the process of developing an online tutorial or an online class is really beneficial because what it makes you do is take your project and break it down into concise bite-sized pieces. You prioritize what the order of construction is for your project, and you do your very best to sort of, you know, guide your viewer who you may assume has no working knowledge of the materials or the project that you're doing and guide them from A to Z to successful completion. Do you feel like teaching um, teaching in person is important first before you create that online video because you don't have the audience there to sort of react to you? Or how have you found, how have you gotten over that if you don't have the opportunity to teach it in person first? Um if I don't have the opportunity to teach a class in person or a tutorial in person before I do it on video, um, I will spend, and it is a ridiculous feeling exercise at first, but I'll, I'll literally teach it in the mirror. <laughs> I've got a mirror That's a in my tip. I've got a mirror in my studio, and I'll I'll lay my materials out. And I'll, I'll run through the presentation multiple times until I feel like I'm comfortable with the process and with all of the steps. And the thing that's great about it, it's sort of like a rough first draft. I'm able to go back and revise and perhaps tweak the order of the steps if it seems like they make more sense. Just speaking the process out loud, I think, is really valuable in um you know, making you a clearer communicator and, you know, again, just sort of guiding your end user through a successful project. Yeah, that's great. Um, so getting back a little bit now to kind of Spoonflower, um, and I wondered if you could kind of ex- cite an example of how Spoonflower plays a critical role in your business um, in a way that maybe other brands or other businesses really couldn't provide. One of the things that's been so critical to my success in regards to Spoonflower is uh, quick turnaround time and my ability to order something as small as a sample swatch or a fat quarter before I commit to yardage. And that way I can see, you know, do I need to tweak the coloration? Does this um, file need to be a little bit sharper? Does my placement need to be adjusted a little bit? And having the ability to, you know, order that that small quantity of fabric to perfect the process um, makes me confident that when I do hit the, the purchase button for 50 yards of fabric, it's going to be exactly what I want. Right. And do you use the marketplace at all? Or so are these designs that we've talked about already in like a Spoonflower shop where other people can order and access them? Or do you keep them private so that only you're able to order them? Or do you have other designs that might be in a marketplace shop? I 
For most of my embroidery samplers, I keep those private and sell them through my own online shop on my personal website. But I do have other designs in the Spoonflower Marketplace that I've created for other projects. And um, some of them were tutorials that I created for Spoonflower and then wanted to give um, the viewer of the tutorial an option to, you know, order fabric to make a project of their own. We did that with some some fabric um embroidered patches, uh, which was a lot of fun. And one of the things that's been most successful in my Spoonflower shop is um, when I teach embroidery, I often teach it on uh, a dotted grid. So the process for the student becomes almost a connect the dot process with the needle and floss, allowing them to see um, you know, how a stitch comes together in a more sort of graphic way. It allows them to practice their stitch length. And so I've made that available in my Spoonflower shop. And that's honestly one of my best sellers there. And what a neat way to teach embroidery. So you're saying that it's almost like a white background and little dots all over, but in a grid, kind of like graph paper, I guess, if you would think of it that way. And so when you're stitching, you can actually go from dot to dot, see how the the embroidery stitch is being formed in between, as you said, practice your stitch length. And, and so are people ordering it, not just for your classes or, or your tutorials, but just to have that as a, like a, almost like a sampler practice page or something like that. Exactly. So what it is, is they are eight inch squares filled with a grid of dots that are all a quarter inch apart. And so you can have that printed on um, a Spoonflower sample swatch, or you can do yardage. And what I've done personally is I've ordered yardage, I've cut it up so I've got all of these individual eight inch squares, and then I can practice a particular stitch on it and then save that for reference for future. And that also works well when I'm teaching in-person classes because I can say, oh, you know, I wanna show you the reverse back stitch. Here's some examples of what it looks like. And on this gridded fabric, you can do side-by-side parallel lines of say, what the stitch looks like uh, with different numbers of embroidery floss strands. You know, embroidery floss comes in six strands, which creates the most bold graphic line, but then you can separate it all the way down to one strand. And to see that same stitch repeated side by side is kind of valuable because you can then envision what it might look like on the project at hand. Yeah, totally. Or see it in pearl cotton or see it in different kinds of of, um, threads. Yeah. Exactly. It's a way for you to to practice and then it also becomes um, a reference. So somebody who is teaching embroidery, maybe at their local community center or their local quilt shop, for example, or something like that, could actually use your tool that you've created because it is available in the marketplace and use that fabric to be able to make a sampler or even have their students order it as well and make samplers themselves. So that's a tool that you've made available for the whole community via the Spoonflower Marketplace, which is super neat. Absolutely. Yeah, and the thing that's I so nice that. about that too is that you can then order it on different substrates. If you want to practice embroidery on a quilt weight cotton to see how that turns out, wonderful. If you want to try it on um, the linen cotton canvas, like I tend to use, wonderful. If you want to try it on um, you know, a substrate that isn't normally used for embroidery just to see as an experiment, it's a fun way to do it. As we're sort of finishing up now, um, so what would you say, Robert, is your the most re- rewarding aspect of your business or of how you run your business now? 
I think most creatives that put sort of kits or materials out into the world will agree that some of the most rewarding moments are when um, customers or students will then send you photographs of completed projects and allowing you to get a peek into their creative process and see their particular spin on whatever it is you put out into the world. The, uh, I've, I'm I love how people in particular have interpreted the maps. And when I get those photographs back from them, it really, um, it's, it's a special thing because it makes you feel like, okay, I've put this tool into the world. I've encouraged these people to be creative and, oh my God, look what they did with it. So yeah, yeah that's super rewarding. Totally. They've documented their own personal journeys or histories on something that you've made, which is so satisfying. That's it is really very neat. satisfying. Agreed. Yeah. And do you have any tips for um, maybe newer artists who are getting just getting started now and want to um, get started with Spoonflower? Any, any things that you've learned about using Spoonflower that you feel like um, maybe you could, some wisdom you could pass on to a, a newer maker or user of the platform? Sure. I would I would say, hands down, take advantage of ordering swatches of your design just to see how it translates onto fabric. Because sometimes you might be surprised. Um, I'm a big believer in happy accidents, but oftentimes you'll find after you've ordered a limited amount of that fabric that you either want to alter the colorway or... Um, uh, you know, the, the tones that you've used, a valuable thing that Spoonflower has is um, the ability to order one of their color charts, which comes on, I think it's a full yard of fabric that shows it's a grid of what all of the different um, ink colors look like on that particular substrate. And so, you know, I, I have one of those that I hang up in my office and I refer to it on a regular basis um, just to make sure, because, you know, sometimes uh, an ink color on your screen does not translate the same way in the printing process. And that's true of paper and that's true of fabric. Um, so yeah, take advantage of that tool. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And do you do your design work in Illustrator or do you do it in Photoshop or are you using a different tool? I am um, self-taught in Photoshop, and I had I, I learned it out of necessity many, many years ago um, and have been fortunate enough to have some um, friends that work on it professionally guide me and, you know, show me some of their tips and tricks. Um, but most of my design work is done in, in a Photoshop format. Okay, great. Anything else we didn't talk about that you think would be good to mention or um, that you would like to, to, to share? You know, this year I've, I've had the privilege of, of being a Spoonflower ambassador, um, mm -hmm. which is not something I take lightly. It's, it's a company that I've built a relationship with since 2008 or 2009 and really believe strongly in. So it was an easy yes for me when they came to me and asked me if it's something that I would like to participate in. Um, but one of the things that I also really love about the company is sort of um, their, their ethics and their stance on social issues and the way that they really um, encourage diversity in the community and make tools available on a very sort of 
um, egalitarian way that we can all access. And so, you know, I, I appreciate that. And it makes me um, loyal to them in a way that uh, I, I might not otherwise be. Yeah, I agree with that 100%. Robert, thank you so much. I, I really enjoyed talking with you. Abby, it's my pleasure. It's always nice to talk to you. You can check out Robert Mahar's business at robert-mahar.com to learn more about him. Today's episode was powered by Spoonflower and Craft Industry Alliance. Get started making your craft business dreams a reality with Spoonflower, where you'll find over 1 million designs curated from thousands of artists worldwide. If those creative juices are really flowing, try your hand at uploading your own design and see your vision become a reality. Once it does, connect with fellow business owners for advice and support at craftindustryalliance.org. The audio in today's episode was edited and mixed by Matthew Talesfor at Mixture Films. I'm Abby Glassenberg. If you enjoyed this episode, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. And most importantly, tell your friends. Thank you so much.